You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello and welcome to episode 419 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by Seth Miller and Fosma Moon. Hey guys. Good morning. Good. Yeah, we're recording in the morning. I think it's a little weird for us. Like, yeah, but you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess, sorry we missed everybody last week with an episode. Oops. Yeah, you guys were having too much fun in Copenhagen, I think. Well, I, I brought the microphones and went over, met up with Foz and Steve. We were going to record, and there was too much background music. So uh, where'd we get, you know, DMCA'd and thrown thrown all? Yeah, yeah, we didn't want that. We didn't want that. Um, express lounges as a growth vertical. That's very, it's a very uh, high-end term there, Seth. Do you want to explain what an express lounge is? So that's an... Sure. I mean, this is an interesting thought. So a guy who I know who runs and helps build a lot of uh, airport lounges around the world, um, yep. one of the big companies, sort of third-party people that does that, mentioned online that he thought that the largest growth for lounges going forward is not going to be your typical full-service, you know, lots and lots of seats, full-tended bar, all that stuff, but more of the sort of grab-and-go gr- grab express lounge. So... Like United just opened one of these in Denver. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and there's been a few others. I mean, this goes back a few years if you think about it, right? Like, I don't remember how far long ago Lufthansa did something like this in Munich. Did they? I kind of remember that. Right. And everybody laughed at it because it's like, well, this is stupid. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it comes down to a couple things, right? It's like, what is the purpose of a lounge? Mm-hmm. And when airlines are running, proper schedules and proper covers all manner of sin there but when airlines are running proper schedules how much time do you as a consumer have and are willing to spend to stop and sit in a lounge versus you know need you know a truly a grab and go like am i do i have a four-hour layover and i want somewhere to sit if it's quiet well don't pick a lounge because that's a terrible idea uh right or am i between flights and it's dinner time and airlines don't offer meals and barely sell anything on board and I'm not going to have time to stop and get food. So I better grab, you know, six cheese cubes and a pack of crackers and at least the lounges are doing the grab and go are doing a little more than that these days. But you know, it's the idea of that transition of does the lounge just become a, a sort of comp snack bar rather than a place to relax at the airport? I, I could feel Foz's eyes roll into the back of his head. Uh <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I get the idea. I get what you're saying and I get the, the draw, but I, uh, uh, there's a part of me that this finds it a visceral, like it's just, it's gross. So I don't know, Foss, what do you think? I think it makes sense in an airport like Denver where you yeah. people, where you have people making close connections and they don't really have time to go into the lounge or, you know, so they get some value out of the lounge benefit. But the real, I, I probably still believe the real value of the lounge comes to irregular operations. So if you're not going to invest in the space, when you do have when you do have irregular operations, which is inevitable, it's going to just be an absolute madhouse, mm-hmm. more so than it already is. Yeah, yeah. I, I sort of get what you're saying on that, Foz. But at, the, at this point, and I'll use the United as a specific example, but like, right, United's switched to that virtual agent situation where, right, the, the point of having a lounge during air ops is you can go in and have someone to talk to rather than waiting in a very long line or forever on hold. But, yes, arguably more willing to bend rules, but that's debatable. I, but I would argue it's not just about the irregular operation rebooking. It's the, I've got four hours to my next flight. Okay. There's no seats in the terminal. 
because everybody's screwed up is what yeah. you're saying like every, yeah. everybody's yeah you're just looking for something to, you're looking for somewhere to get away from i don't know i i keep coming back to during air ops over the last couple of years when i've seen it that's what i mean we all joke about the lines to get in the jfk delta lounge these days but i feel like during air ops it's even worse and it's everywhere mm. I, I i would probably find a corner in the terminal before i'd try to go for the lounge these days i think i think it depends on the airport for me like yeah Denver, Denver, I would definitely find a corner because none of those lounges can... Upstairs have... center food court. Yeah, exactly. Like, just, well, the center food court, you'd be surprised. They're, like, adding, there's a there's a Shake Shack there now. So and they filled it in? I was like, they used to be, like, out on the wings of it. There used to be quiet spaces. And, like On the wings? Yes. On the wings, yes. It's very quiet. But, like, yeah. in that center food court area, don't don't even try it. Um, but, like, yeah, I would find a quiet place. But then, like, I'm, ta- I'm thinking of, like, places like, um, maybe, like, Dulles, where there's not a lot of places to go that are quiet. Yeah. Um, unless you want to sit in the hallway and have people walking by you the entire yeah. time. I guess it would depend at that point, I would say, how long is your delay? If it's yeah. three hours, like I would take the people move over and go sit in A, B, where there's plenty yeah. of room. Yeah. So I would say the grab-and-go concept makes sense for airports with more tra- connecting traffic versus O and D traffic. Particularly O traffic. Fair, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. I I just, I, there's something about it. Like, thinking about Denver, I get it. People are like, just like, oh, I just want a quick cup of coffee or I want, like, a snack to take with me on the plane as I connect to my next flight. But for me, I, I, I don't know. Like I, if I'm going to eat something, I'd rather get it from an actual restaurant or, I mean, I guess it all comes from the same place, Cisco. So, uh, <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm just, I, well, but I, so right. I think you highlighted something there, like, especially in the U S these days, like the lounges, the food. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. There's a guacamole bar or an oatmeal, whatever, you know, the food du jour or mm-hmm. the week is, um, but, like, they're sort of getting better at having real food. But I'm with you. At the end of the day, like, I'm not going to wait in line. Certainly not going to wait in line for a quote-unquote free sandwich or whatever that I yeah. could just go to a restaurant and get something. But odds are what I want food-wise, is if I want actual food, the lounge is not going to provide that to me. Yeah. yeah. Like, a, a cup of soup at the last lounge, I guess, sort of. Even that, like, I, I can't even tell you, like, I, I think we're all, like, kind of, or people are hating in general on Alaska for changing access rules to the, the the club that they have, whatever it's called now at this point, the Alaska Lounge, um, and, you know, making it so that it has to be a flight over 2,000 miles or something, so it's basically transcots. Um, part of that is it was just overcrowded with people just sitting around eating free pancakes. Like, how is that, I, I, one, why, and two, I, I don't find that to be inviting so i just avoided the alaska lounge i would just go sit somewhere quiet in portland or seattle that was quieter than the lounge so i don't know i i, I get it i don't see this working maybe internationally as well that's my key takeaway i think it works great in the united states i think denver is gonna be a great proving ground for this um for united i don't know that it works places like uh maybe like hong kong or Tokyo. Like, I just don't see it where, the conceptually, I think. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you Hong Kong and Tokyo just because the idea of what the service level is there is much yeah. higher. Yeah. But it's been working in Munich. I can, I actually really, and like, let's be honest, there's some of the lounges, like the Lufthansa lounges in Europe have been outside of Europe, you're tiny and terrible anyways. Yeah. So I, I could certainly see it uh, replacing or augmenting some of those in a way. And right again, if you set it up right, you have these sort of out near gates, and it, it takes up floor space, which is hard. You got to find that space, um, but it, they're not as big, so you can sort of you can do a lot of them or yep. more of them as little ones. And 
arguably for the person who just has that quick grab and go idea, they're no longer queuing to get in line to the main lounge to sort of fight their way through and whatever. It removes the line problem. Yeah. And the crowding problem, right? I mean, that person's not taking a seat necessarily. So if there's no seats left, there's still no seats left. But at least that like it helps relieve some of the challenge, I would think. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I, I think uh, I'm just trying to think about this from the perspective of like a connect. I'm a connecting passenger pretty frequently. Sure. Um. So like I'm thinking of somewhere like Seattle. Would this be helpful? Maybe. But the concessions again, again, we come back to this question of like the concessions there are fine. I think there's like a certain there's a certain customer who this appeals to. And it's it's just not me, I think, is is what I'm getting. I guess what my conclusion is for this. It's It's not for me. Maybe if I'm in a real rush and it's like there's no line to get a cup of coffee and I'm I just want a cup of coffee. Okay, fine. But in most cases, I have enough time uh, to get something when I want. Yeah. I mean, the other thing to consider is like there has been a growth, you know, similar growth market type concepts. There's been growth in the uh, online order your food Mm -hmm. for your connection. Like Grab is the name of the company that serves. uh, I think it's called Grab. Maybe they changed the name of the survey. Um, They power a lot of those systems and so like okay i know i'm running late or it's a short connection when i land while we're still taxiing i can log on to the website and order food from the shop in the terminal where i want it and just pick it up as i walk by by the way by the way i learned yeah. from a from one of our listeners on twitter you can do this for Fr- frontera for pickup yes in chicago that is the greatest thing ever yeah <laughs> i did not know this you don't have to wait in line to order so you just basically it just slots your order in yeah, it's great. It's great because most of the time you spend at Frontera is not on a line. It's waiting for your food because it's fresh. So yeah, um, yeah, that, that is a great situation. But I will say, like, a lot of it depends on the uh, merchant participating correctly. Mm-hmm. So I kept coming home uh, from the Avello flight last week. I was landing in Boston, hopping on a bus to get home, and my flight landed at seven thirty. The bus is at eight ten, so I didn't have a ton of time, and I hadn't had dinner yet. Yeah. I figured out oh, no big deal. I'll order while we're taxiing. Pick it up, eat while I'm you know waiting for the bus. I'll be done before the bus departs. Placed my order. We like had to wait for a gate, so it actually took a little longer than I expected. Ran over to the shop, only to find the bartender wiping down the bar and closing up. I was like, "Hey, yeah, just I guess you guys closed up, but I placed my order. Can I grab my sandwich?" She's like, "What are you talking about? Gate wasn't closed for half an hour." <laughs> I'm like, "But I placed an order. Your online thing accepted." He's like, "Yeah, no, we're closed. Sorry." So who did you did you get your money back? Well, in theory, he called the manager over to refund. It was like, hey, guys, I don't have time to stick around. It's the only order in the queue, apparently. You promise you're going to refund it? And he said yes. Huh. Um, so I, ha- I haven't checked my credit card statement yet. Well, I checked it on Wednesday or Thursday morning when I woke up. It hadn't credited yet. Okay. So I always have this dispute the charge, but, like, that was a tough one. Yeah, that sucks. Um, I don't want to spend too much time. I mean, do you have any other thoughts, Buzz? Like, I don't want to spend a ton, a ton of time on this, but if you have anything else you want to say. Well, I mean, the problem is if if they the one thing I can think of is if they move forward with this path, right? Then you'll have two tiers of lounge memberships. Oh yeah, I get that'll express. Be, yeah, that'll be the next iteration. Yeah, you get an express lounge membership or the full lounge membership. Yeah, yeah, I can see that happening too. Can we just real quickly? Can we talk about Denver and not having a a, a Polaris lounge and none really planned? They have a lot of flights, international flights now, and they're the only they're the only hub without a Polaris lounge. When you say a lot, three? No, they got Frankfurt, um, which goes twice daily in the summer. They've got London. They've got Munich. 
They have uh, Tokyo coming back. They have, uh, there's one other one. It's long haul. Um, plus the Lufthansa flights. I'm surprised. Generally surprised. Because it's more than Houston. Or it's even with oh, Houston. No. It's even with Houston. No. Or is it though? It, it's it's not South America. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Okay, Lima, Sao Paulo, Santiago, Buenos Aires. Okay, okay, yeah, fair enough. Does, All right. Does Lima count? That Lima, Lima does count. Yeah, yeah. It comes and goes, you know, yes. in the uh... depending on the equipment. <laughs> yeah, and then they got Sydney, and then the European stuff. So, okay, they have more, but I, it's just funny to me. Like that's a that's a quite a few flights, and they don't have any Polaris lounge there. And I know they're serving mostly O and D, but that, well, that would probably be the difference, right? Again, Denver's a lot of connecting. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, right. So you, people will be people won't have as much time to use the lounge. Well, not with the way that they do their banks. No. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So forty minutes or six hours. <laughs> I haven't been in Denver. I haven't been to Denver in five, six, seven years, and I don't miss it. It. They love to sell me a connection in Denver, but they love to sell me a connection in Denver for everything. So, um, here we go, uh, Stephen. Uh, for June of this year, Frankfurt at, out of Denver, Frankfurt, Munich, no Tokyo, and double daily to Heathrow on United Metal. Yep. Um, so that's five. Yep. Uh, departures out of Houston, Amsterdam, Buenos Aires, Frankfurt, Rio, Sao Paulo, double Heathrow, Lima, Munich, Narita, and Santiago. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. And Sydney, right? Did you mention Sydney? Sydney is not listed for this summer on United. That's interesting. As of right now, it's not published for June. That's some, I guess that's winter in Australia, so maybe that makes sense. So it's it's 11 versus 5 departures. I sort of get yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sydney does come back in the winter, in our winter. I see it in November. So, anyway. Um, Delta Sky Club access rules. So just talking from club to club here, uh, Delta's kind of uh, implemented some new changes, and it, it seems like they're kind of solidified now um, on how they're going to limit access. So I'll just go through these really quickly. Um, so as of the first of this year, um, Delta's only selling lounge memberships to diamond, platinum, gold, and silver medallions. So not if you're not an elite with Delta, you're no longer able to purchase a membership at all. The back as of, card, though. Yeah. As of January 1, uh, the fees have increased for the annual membership. So it's, I think it's like $700 almost. Um, uh, yeah. I think it's like, Do they still have the two tier of like only me or me plus family and friends? Yeah, the executive membership, and those have gone up to from $845 to almost $1,500. So, pretty. You can also redeem Sky Miles for that one. Um, as of February 2nd, so after the recording of the show, uh, the fee to bring a, a companion in, a guest in to the Sky Club, has increased to $50 from $39. Um, and then, if, you know, regardless of whether you're a Sky Club member or, you know, you have a credit card. So, you're going to pay that no matter what. As of, as of February 1st, the ability to get Sky Club access with Diamond Medallion Choice Benefits has changed, so it's no longer possible to select an individual membership uh, via Delta's Choice Benefits program. So if you want the executive membership, it requires three Choice benefit selections rather than two. So they've kind of screwed that a little bit. And then also as, as of February 2nd, uh, Delta Sky Club members on economy tickets or basic economy tickets can't get in the access, access to the lounge. So if you're on a basic economy ticket, you're not getting into the lounge. Um, as well... Um, if you if you are a mem- uh, elite member and you're traveling uh, on an international itinerary, um, you will not get access to the Sky Club unless you're in Premium Economy or Delta One. So the ability to get access as an elite member on an economy ticket, gone, on an international economy ticket. Yeah. And then, uh, as we know, 
the employees and their companions on non rift tickets are no longer access, able to access those, those sky clubs. Quite a well, bit. Well, I don't. I don't think so. A lot of it is is the credit card members. I'm convinced. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's got obviously it's got to help a little. They wouldn't. They wouldn't go through the effort of doing all this uh, nitpicking if they thought it was zero impact. Yeah. The question is, how much does it move the needle? Yeah, I, I think it sucks for, uh, I think it sucks for Sky Team elites on coach tickets not to be able to access the lounge. I think that sucks. Like, well, it's, it's only if Delta, you're Delta elite. It's not if you're a part, uh, another member elite. Oh, uh, I got you. Okay, that's still. But I agree. That's a, that. That was a crappy. Trip. That's a gut punch right there. As like a coach passenger flying on an international ticket, and you've you're a diamond, and you're not. You don't get lounge. Act, and I don't know. I'd go fly somebody else. So, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, it's weird. I think, and then like the the prices for the annual ad membership going up so much. I guess they're saying, well, if you're willing to pay for this, we'll let you in. Like, that's kind of what they're saying. Yeah, more or get our premium credit card. Yeah, or get the credit card. Which at this point, is there a reason you would do one or the other? Um, if you get the credit, if you're using it theoretically as a business expense, the credit card is tax deductible, whereas lounge membership is not. Yep. Um. They've also added some uh, semi-permanent uh, award flight discounts for credit card holders. Oh, interesting. Okay. So if you're a gold, platinum, or reserve Sky Miles card holder or the business card uh, from Amex, you get 15% off award travel if it's Delta Metal only. And that brings their prices just double to the competition. <laughs> Listen, man, I've been looking at a lot of things lately and seeing... My, it's the first time I've seen Transatlantic on United for more than 70,000 coach. One it's, cr- it's crazy. It's up to one to 120 is now the top price I've seen. Um and then this is in April, mind you. So we're not even into peak summer. Um American is charging 400 one way. Mm, excuse me. 400,000 one way in business class for transatlantic service. Holy crap. Uh United I've seen up to about 250ish for that. And then every now and then you spot one where you're like, oh, look, United is priced business class transatlantic less than economy for some reason on this trip. Oh, I see that all the time. Yeah. I, I just saw one where premium economy, like Newark, London, was like 120000 and business was sixty. Yeah. The best is, though, the some of the Trans-Pacific stuff. six hundred k for uh, San Francisco to Bangkok. six hundred k And one way? One way. Nice. Yeah. I mean... Are people are people burning six hundred thousand miles to go to Asia? Like, uh, who are these people? <laughs> or is United just like we just want the revenue? So maybe we'll just drive people away that want to redeem us. I think part of it comes back to the we have a policy of no blackouts and every you know every seat available is an award if you're an elite. So we never we never said what it would cost though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, to be fair, like the, the the tickets I'm seeing where it's you know, ninety to hundred thousand points one way, the round trip fare is like eighteen hundred dollars. So, yeah, it's, it's close. It's yeah. not the worst value I've seen. So right, uh, you know, you end up paying one hundred sixty to one hundred eighty thousand points or eighteen hundred dollars. You're back to that sort of nominal penny a point rate. It's not good, but yeah, it's not good. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's not. It could be worse. I guess is what I'm saying. So you know. I actually I want to have Ed on at some point because I want to talk about Delta because he's kind of made the full on switch to Delta and I want to know how that's going for him or has he really? Yeah, that's what he said on Twitter. 
So I want to talk to him. I want I want him to convince me to switch because the schedules out of Portland are just better on Delta. So I want I want someone to tell me why it's better. Some because the schedules are better. That's an easy one. I could tell you that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm not even joking. If the schedules I if the schedules are better, I'm flying a ton of BA across the ocean this year because the schedules are better and the pricing. I'll probably end up on VA quite a bit. This, that's that's part of the problem, though. It's like, do I connect in Heathrow or do I connect in Amsterdam? Like, which one's worse? So that's really the question. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's my thought. On to where? Uh, either India or into other parts of Europe. I would say I would say you have more options out of Heathrow if something goes sideways. That's true. Yeah. Generally, yeah. Um, that said, I... And I, yeah, I would actually say Heathrow is the better. But also, like, it stinks a little bit to have to clear immigration at that se- at the second at the sort of final destination rather than in transit. Yeah, but unless Amsterdam has finally gotten its act together where transit immigration is useful, I would avoid it. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's kind of my thought. I was like, well, if I'm going to Schengen, I don't really want to go through Amsterdam. So, oh yeah. In theory, they'll be better. You, you one has to assume they'll finally sort of get it better. I, I, that's a big assumption. Huge assumption. <laughs> We're talking about government here. It hasn't it hasn't been it hasn't been good in years. It hasn't been good in years. Like years. It hasn't been good. So, um, let's talk about. So you mentioned the Delta Amex award discount. So is that? I mean, is that that's relatively new, right? And it seems to be very new. I just got a press release about it. So yeah, yeah. It was I mean a week or two ago that they announced that. It's I mean, it's big from the perspective of like people who can then look at the Amex. I mean, now it's going to be like more people wanting to sign up for this Amex card, right? To get well, that's even with both, they can get that with the crap air card stuff. So, oh, okay, okay, interesting. Um, all right, next up, uh, Bali might get flights to the United States. So this is an interesting one. It's and like. So it's a local newspaper publishing a story about an interview with some executives from the airport and the transportation authority there and talking about, like, the applications have been received. We are processing them. We will figure out what's next. And, like, most of it was China. I think they said they had 13 and six of them were from mainland China. Mm -hmm. And then it's not a quote in the story, but there's a list of other countries that might be represented and the United States is included. Hmm. So I don't entirely understand it, but yeah. Is Indonesia no longer on the travel like ban to the United States? Like the IAS, like the IASA level two? Yeah, I can't remember. I thought they were for some reason, but maybe they're maybe they're not anymore. Uh, Indonesia appears to be in category one. Okay. Uh, so that's good. Okay. Yeah, since twenty sixteen. Um, I mean, it would be awesome if we got service directs. I mean, it would probably have to be what like uh, I could either see Hawaiian doing this. Um for whatever reason, uh, because they, they like to connect people to Honolulu, or someone on the West Coast, United, maybe got a Delta. Fun word for you, Stephen. What? Guam. I didn't thought. <laughs> Remember, Continental Mike used to offer that. That's true. They did. And that's considered U.S. service, so I yeah. can see that. I mean, I, I, that actually makes more sense than... Makes more sense than anything else. Yeah, they're the mainland, yeah, for sure. Wow. Yeah, I think I, if it was going to be anything, I think it would be that, right? Like San Francisco to Bali, it's far. Eighty three hundred fifty five miles versus Singapore at eighty four six forty six. So it's a smidgen shorter, less than a hundred miles shorter. But there's no way the premium demand nonstop San Francisco to Bali mm-hmm. is useful. Yeah, I was going to say they, they they would want to do it with a seven eight eight, but it doesn't have the legs to do it. 
Yeah. Honolulu to Bali is 6,200 miles, 6,250. That's far. I didn't realize it was that far. Yeah. Um, what's the otherwise, well, I mean, 5,000 miles Honolulu to Sydney is otherwise their longest route, I think. So let's see. It, what that's actually the... not true. How far is it to Boston? Uh, For where? Honolulu. Honolulu, Boston is longer than Honolulu, Sydney. Oh, wow. Today we learn the Earth is a weird shape, man. I mean, it's it's a transcon from Guam. 2,500 miles. Yeah. So, that's, that's... I mean, do that many people want to go to... I mean, this is the question that I've asked people, too. Like, uh, people on Twitter were pretty good with the responses. Some were jerks, but... I asked the question, like, why do you, from the East Coast, want to go to Honolulu? And they're like, oh, it's just for the, the views and it's the nature and everything. I'm like, I don't know that I want to fly nine hours domestically to get to Honolulu. Like, that doesn't seem fun. Uh, but I guess people do. <laughs> so, I, I, how many people are going to Bali, though? Like, how many... I mean, it seems like one of those, like, fantasy destination type places. You know, there there is plenty of the, you know, private bungalow, plunge pool, whatever... Uh, villa lifestyle appeal. But there's also, um, yeah, I could say like there's sort of cheap options too, but those aren't the people that the airlines care about. So yeah, yeah, don't need to worry about that. Um, no, I, I, I would not be surprised if the U.S. service was a Guam tag flight from United. Yeah. But even that, I'm not sure what they fill it with. Yeah, like so, I would a seven hundred, seven thirty-seven, seven hundred. Still, you got to sell twelve seats. So, I mean, but they used to. True. True. They used to, but they did it in an era where you didn't have a joint venture over Tokyo with ANA. I don't know if the joint venture covers Indonesia or not, but I don't know if ANA flies to Bali. I assume it does. Right? You, you did it in an era where just like you didn't have other options to get out there. Yeah, but do you really want to fly Guam to Tokyo to Bali? That's that's out of the way. No, but you'd fly mainland to Tokyo to Bali, and it'd be oh, I got you. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now they're doing a seven seven W to Guam from Honolulu. So, is that passenger service now, or is it cargo yeah, only? It's yeah, they're selling. They're selling. The, the dailies are uh, you can pretty much get upgrade space any day you want. I wonder if they had to upgrade it for pa- for cargo capacity. Well, that's what it, that's how it started, right? It was just pure cargo. And yeah. I think now they're just like, well, we got we still have the cargo to go to Guam. Let's sell the seats, and they're rotating it out of San Francisco. So one of the San Francisco Honolulu flights is the seven seven W that continues out to Guam. Nice. And then, and does it do Guam Honolulu? Back to San Francisco, or does it does Guam? Yep, San Francisco. Because they were there for a bit. They were doing Guam, San Francisco nonstop, but it was that's cargo argument. Yeah, it's cargo. Yeah, yeah. No, this one comes back to San, uh, Honolulu and then San Francisco. I mean, you know, one thing that United could always do is run a seven seven A if they sell enough tour seats, right? To, to Guam nonstop, no to Bali. Oh, yeah, that's true. From from Honolulu, that would work. Yeah, I mean, you could pull traffic in yeah. from the five hubs. Honolulu, wait, Honolulu, Bali is sixty two hundred miles. Seven seven eight doesn't have that range, does it? It's twenty five hundred miles. It's a oh Honolulu. Sorry, mm-hmm. sorry, sorry. Honolulu. Yeah, it doesn't have that range. But I guess so. Whatever. Maybe, right? maybe, maybe what United needs to do. I'm just going to throw this out there: is really turn Guam into a Pacific hub. Do we maybe. need to do this all over again? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why? Why not? Do you realize where Guam is located relative to literally everything else in the like on the west? I do. I do. I, I, you know, I, I did have a minor in, in geography. Uh, I understand where it's at. For Southeast Asia, it is a great connection point. No, it's not. Yeah, it's not bad. It's terrible. Why? It's like almost there. It's probably no no worse than Tokyo. 
It yeah. is worse than Tokyo. That's why? why. That's why it sucks. Why? Tell me why. Explain this to me. I'm typing. I mean, San Francisco, Tokyo, Singapore, San Francisco, Guam, Singapore. Uh huh. Which one's longer? Probably Guam. How much longer? A few hundred miles. No, that would help if I typed the wrong airport code in. Three hundred miles longer via Guam. Yeah. That, and no one actually wants to just go to Guam, where people do want to get off in Tokyo. <laughs> I see what I see what you mean, but I'm thinking like, okay, so you can serve places in Australia. Like they already have this like mini hub to do some of this. You could do like Tahiti, you could do Fiji, you could do Australia. Like you, you, not necessarily like to Singapore or Thailand, but so, south, south of Guam. But so I, that was from I, I I was just using from San Francisco, right? San Francisco already has Tahiti, it already has Australia nonstop. If you yeah. go to Houston, uh huh, right now because of you know the fun shape of the earth, now you're 500 miles longer to get to Singapore via Guam, and still no one wants to go from Houston to Guam, or. That actually might be the best one, but very few people want to go from Houston to Guam, right? From Newark, it gets long. Every place you go that we're talking about, um, Newark is 800 miles longer to Singapore via Guam than via Tokyo. Okay, so let's get this right. We They just need to do this long enough so we can fly it and get the lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm with him. Or or they open the hub up on Kwajalein. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Uh, I mean, that would be amazing, right? Or Wake Island or something in the middle. I don't think they can do it in Wake Island. I think Wake Island's now closed to Mid- any kind of... Midway, Midway Island, that's uh, the divergent point? Uh, Midway and Wake are both diversion points. I mean, Wake has a runway, but I don't think they allow any non-USGS-type uh, like service people on, on the island unless absolutely necessary. So, so like Kwajalein. Yeah, and Midway's northwest of Hawaii, whereas Wake is like straight west, maybe a little southwest of Hawaii, so... Um. Yeah, I'm just yeah, saying Guam's a terrible place to put a hub. I mean, uh, the only reason Guam is good is if you want to use Guam as a hub, it's got to be basically like between Japan and or Korea and Australia and the Philippines, and no one needs a hub for that because there's a sh- crap ton of nonstop service. But yeah, there's a crap ton of nonstop service, but you can only serve certain airports because you need that much traffic. Now, if you put a, a hub in Guam, you can serve a lot of the secondary cities and get into more of these countries. Yeah, man, seven eight eight base, love it. <laughs> fly, wait, seven eight eight fly what, Fukuoka to <laughs> to to Cairns. Well, you can do that on the seven on the seven three, but you can do seven eights to the mainland. But you can open up a lot of these secondary and tertiary cities in the Philippines and Australia and other parts of Southeast Asia that you wouldn't normally be able to. And literally zero people are going to fly United via Guam for that than Emirates via Dubai. Yeah. He's got a point. He's got a point for us. But everyone flies to Atlanta on Delta and no one bitches about that. (laughs) Yeah, Atlanta's not in Guam. No, but my point is Atlanta's out of the way. You could be going from like Tokyo to Amsterdam and one of the routings will be in Amsterdam through Atlanta. These days with Russia close, it's probably not that much longer. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, so let's let's keep it on track here. Seven point seven. This was like I want to thank you for my like fifteen years on flyer talk flashback memory of why water <laughs> better. Up. That was a great little thread we asked. We've got to do. I thought I thought I thought that was a good thread. I mean, it was a fun thread at the time. Uh, seven forty seven final delivery, last one rolled off and was delivered uh, to is it Atlas? Yeah, uh, and it so it flew to to Cincinnati, I think. Yeah, they um, a little 747 crown in the sky. It was beautiful. Yep, great. We're going to miss her. As people don't remember, there are a ton of 747s still flying, so you can still right. get on one. 
it's harder than you'd think to get get on one as a passenger. True. They were, so theoretically, four airlines still flying them. Uh, it's really closer to three. I think Asiata still has a couple that come and go on scheduled service, but I'm not sure they're really flying them. Uh, Korean yeah. and Lufthansa still have the Dash 8 and, and uh, Air China as well, I think. Okay. And, I mean, Lufthansa still has 744s flying. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised Saudi isn't flying any 744s. Um, yeah, were, you know, like for Hajj, they were using them. But they're using for Hajj, so may not, they may still fly, but not in schedule. Like, Royal Air Rock was keeping its around for Hajj for a while. Okay, yeah. Also, like, there there were some out there, but... I know they did on the 748 before they pull them. You know, I've been on one? Yeah. I haven't done one yet. Well, I haven't been on one either. I probably should do that. Seth, where are they flying this summer? Um, <laughs> trying to get there. You're asking me questions faster than I was ready for. <laughs> I mean, I, I know they have they have Dulles and they have San Francisco, I think, was a 748 because they haven't brought it back to a A380. Yeah. So let's look at, for the month of June, uh, Korean has Atlanta and Honolulu and JFK and LA. So some good options there, one daily on each of those. Lufthansa had, they're all at Frankfurt for Lufthansa. They've got Bangalore, Delhi, Newark, Buenos Aires, uh... Haneda, Sao Paulo, Dulles, Houston, Seoul, Joburg, L.A., Mexico, Miami, Chicago, Beijing, Shanghai, San Francisco, Singapore, Vancouver, and Toronto. That's a lot of routes. Yeah. Um, but those are the only two showing us. That means even Air China is not showing in the summer like they are for mm-hmm. next month. So maybe Miami, Frankfurt. In F. Which I've seen a lot of Lufthansa F award space lately. Yeah, from the from the East Coast, a few yeah. days out. Yeah, you can find it pretty easy. Okay. Yeah, Air China and Korean or Air China and China both pulled their seven four seven filings for what it's worth. Yeah. Actually, I, believe. I think so, that China uh, Air China still has them, but they're flying them domestically. I think it's a great idea. Well, you should get Guangzhou into Shenzhen. You can totally fuss. I think you should totally go to China. And oh, Asiana's oh, got oh. Shanghai in February for some reason. There's a balloon. I heard you can catch. <laughs> I'll I'll stick to uh, something stateside between Frankfurt and the stateside. <laughs> uh, flyer is kaput. That didn't last long. So this is the Norwegian, one of the many Norwegian upstarts uh, trying to make a go of it. I don't know why anyone thought that was going to work, but yeah, they uh, had a handful of seven eight uh, excuse me seven thirty sevens. Lost a few routes. Sort of did okay in the summer, but not great. And European low cost carrier world, man, save up in the summer and hope you can ride out the winter. They tried to refinance. They were unsuccessful. They have liquidated, or are in the process of liquidating. I know a bunch of the planes are being returned to lessors. Were they all leased? They were all leased yeah. planes? Yeah. Um, and then Fly B has collapsed as well. Again. Um, so, right, they went out just before COVID, sort of, they were in the process of collapsing, and then tried this, the UK sort of regional carrier operation flying uh, Q400s, or ATRs, Q400s, Q400s. Um, yeah. props. So they were, they, uh, yeah, collapsed three years ago, started up again last year, sort of vaguely tried, but like had operational challenges, had a few other things. What's very interesting to me was that one of the things I saw of why they failed was the claim that they were, couldn't get the planes that they were supposed to have fast enough. Mm-hmm. And so part of me says, okay, fine. Like you, built schedules based on what you thought you were going to have and the planes didn't show up and so you ended up 
having to cancel a lot of flights, compensate passengers, upset passengers, they book away, whatever. But the other part of it was like, you were losing money on every flight and you dumped more airplanes was going to help that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's airline logic. <laughs> well, I, I get it. I'm just, you know, we'll make it up in volume. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, and then is, I guess, Air France and KLM and Lufthansa are all interested in, in so, buying? There's, roof, there's rumors that both Air France KLM Group and Lufthansa Group are trying to buy out the remnants of Flybe for the slots. And mm. so then you get the question of, okay, well, there's Amsterdam slots, which are somewhat fungible and easy to sort of shift around. But there's also the Heathrow slots. And would those airlines be allowed to take those slots and use them for international service when a number of the slots that Flybe held were sort of explicitly designated as domestic operation slots. Mm-hmm. Things like to, to Glasgow or wherever. Yeah. 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 Elsewhere around the UK and there's a bunch of random routes that operated. Um, yeah. Right, like I'm sure Heathrow is very happy to not have to deal with props in the flow. Mm-hmm. Right, they're slower planes. It's harder to slot them in with the other operations in a very tight airspace. But so I'm sure that's would be they would love to have you know bigger planes coming in and out. But from a, as a regulatory thing, would you let someone who is supposed to be flying to Glasgow or New K or Belfast or whatever take one of those slots and now fly it to Paris or Germany or whatever? Yeah, yeah, or Fly to fly to uh, Hamburg and then trade the other slot to United to fly another long haul service, right? Like, there, there's a lot going on there. What were you going to say, Foss? Basically, what uh, Seth just said, or just uh, give it to your JV partner and run it across the pond. Yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so no, no, that's great. Uh, yeah, that'll be fun to watch. <laughs> uh, BA and uh, Virgin Atlantic have returned to China. Or are returning to China? Yeah, I think it announced for March to start. Yep. So we've talked about China growth a bit um, and sort of rebound there. It's happening. Yeah. Also, though, while we're talking about that, you remember a couple weeks ago we talked about uh, the U.S. carriers trying to get their slot usage waiver for mm-hmm. China and Japan? Mm-hmm. Um, Hawaiian Airlines just came out and said their Japanese point of sale, which is a huge market for them, mm-hmm. remains in the tank. Like, they're getting nothing. So, so. I, I had a I had a conversation with friend our friend Jason Rabinowitz the other night over dinner, and he was telling me that like hotels in Japan, and I didn't believe this at first. Hotels in Japan, big cities, Tokyo, Osaka, mm-hmm. are going for sub hundred dollar nights. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so I part, looked, of, part of that's the exchange rate is still depressed. That's starting to come back. Yeah. So right, like the other thing is like chip Japanese like. Japanese trips to Japan for Americans are 30% cheaper than they used to be right now, which means trips from Japan out are 30% more expensive. So those folks aren't traveling as much. Yeah. But also, yeah, the, the, the market is dead. Yeah. Like he said that, uh, or, and then Jonathan Koo, if you don't follow on Twitter yeah. and you want some fun content, uh, you should follow him. He was in Osaka and Sapporo and uh, one other place. And he said it was very untouristy. So uh, just because he didn't see that many people there. So it's interesting. It's sad, but it's, if you want to go, now's the time to do it. And uh, still not opening PZ space. Nope. Well, they did. They had newer Kanita. I told you about it. I am PZ open, yeah, but not consistent. You couldn't. You couldn't. You didn't want to book it. I don't know why. <laughs> wow. You you really gotta you gotta start that conversation. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'll, I'll stop it there.
I'll just I'll just say I did get to Copenhagen before you did. Yeah, that's true. Um, there was a near miss at uh, Austin Bergstrom International Airport uh, between FedEx and Southwest, and this one's I think more worrying even than the American flight and the Delta flight. Like this came within like feet, I would say maybe fifty feet of each other, uh, and it was all done by the air traffic control. It seems like. I think FedEx could have made some changes, but basically a FedEx flight, a 767, was on approach into Austin. Um, it was cleared to land, uh, and there was a Southwest flight cleared to take off. Uh, the FedEx flight was on a three-mile final, and the FedEx flight was cleared. And FedEx flight basically was overhead the, of the Southwest flight and called a missed approach and you know hit the, hit the Togo uh, button and went around. But they were very close to each other. So... There's some interesting things. I don't know if you listened to the playback of the ATC. Yep. Um, there's a couple interesting things in there to me. One was after control cleared Southwest departure, which FedEx would have heard, FedEx asked, are we still cleared to land? As though they sort of like, huh, well, that's the same runway we were going to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, eighth mile visibility, so it was very foggy. It was hard to see. And... FedEx realized that, it, I guess they must have seen Southwest as they came down through the clouds and the Southwest hadn't cleared yet. FedEx actually called out abort Southwest. They tried to make Southwest abort their takeoff because they realized the problem. Yeah, I mean, because Southwest was going to take off up into underneath them. Yeah. yeah. So, um, also at the same time, you know, generally speaking, everybody sounds calm and cool and whatever. It's always amazing to me. Like, it's what you practice for. I get it. And it sounded... I can't help but think that the FedEx pilots having asked, hey, are we still cleared to land? Are you sure? And being told yes, we're like, all frequency in the flight deck, we're like, well, this is about to be exciting. Let's get ready for it. Yeah. I, I mean, on a three-mile final, they're doing probably 160 miles an hour. So they're they're doing the math in their head like, okay, by the time the Southwest jet gets up to takeoff speed, we're, we're going to be over the threshold. That's, yeah. that's, that's what probably was going through their head. I just... I don't know if I was if I was FedEx. I think when I landed, I would have been like, "Hey, controller, uh, we got a number for you to, to call." So, <laughs> so. <laughs> the NTSB is on it already. But yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, I think that's the show, guys. We're going to talk about uh, Avello and Seth's adventure in Delaware, um, and then some Porter news and uh, Airbus and uh, Cutter settling finally, and then Frontier has an all-you-can-fly summer pass. We're going to talk about that in the bonus topics, and that's for our Patreon subscribers. So stick around. Um, but if you're not a patient subscriber, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Tell us your thoughts. Um, are you going to use an express lounge? That's we'd like to know. So, uh, we'll talk to you next time. Happy travels. Take care. Catch you later.